Welcome to episode four of the Roseland podcast. I'm Chloe, your host, and this week on the podcast we've got an update on a shop we missed last episode, sorry about that, uh, and two interviews. I've got Millie Edwards, chairman of the Roseland Gig Club, and Suze Hex, Paralympian, on the show. If this is the first episode you're listening to, please do go back to episode one if you want to find out what it's all about. And you can listen and find the podcast at roselandpodcast.com on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, on Spotify and on all the other podcast apps. It's available on all of them for free. Um, so please do find us on the one you like, subscribe and tune in each week for, for more of this, basically. And at rosalindpodcast.com, if you go to whichever episode you're listening to, so in this case, episode four, and click on the, the show notes link, you will find links to any resources we mentioned. So Facebook, book, Facebook groups, um, websites, all that sort of stuff you'll find right there and then. Okay, last episode, I was joined by my podcast partner in crime, Lindsay Thomas, for a rundown of the services and the shops on the Rosen are offering to keep us all fed and watered. And we managed to miss one really important shop last week. We missed out St Moore's Pharmacy, which, especially in these times, is, is really quite crucial for you all to know what's going on there. Well, they are open as per usual for all your pharmacy requirements. That's Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 6, Wednesdays from 9 till 1, Thursdays and Fridays from 9 till 5, and Saturday from 10 till 3. This episode is going live on Easter Saturday, so I should also let you know they will be open with a pharmacist on duty, a pharmacist on duty even, on Easter Monday from 2pm to 5pm. And if you've got an update you would like us to share on the podcast, then please just drop an email to rosenpodcast at gmail.com. Right, should we get into the main thing here? Should we get into the interviews? Because let's face it, you're not listening to hear me or the pharmacy opening hours, as important as they are. You hit play to hear a little about what's going on or not going on um, on the peninsula at the moment, to hear the stories of some of the wonderful people who live here. This week, I've two brilliant guests for you, and there's a bit of a water theme. First up is Millie Edwards. He's here wearing the hat of chairman of Roseland Gig Club to tell us a bit about the history of the club and the sport, what the club is up to this season or were before we all got locked down, and how, once we're allowed out and about, you can get involved. Hello, Millie. How are you? Hello there, Chloe. I'm fine, thank you. Hey, Alex, thanks for so much for coming on to the show. Um, gigs is something I've never got involved with. Well, not yet, anyway, I suppose I should say. There's always time, isn't there? But There's how, always time. There's always time. How did you get involved in, in the world of gig rowing? Um, I got involved, well, 30-odd years ago when a friend of mine, Brian Chenareth, might be known on the Roseland. Just a little uh, bit. I used, to play, yeah, I used to play rugby with Brian, and he, and he said about uh, rowing the boats in, in the summer um to keep fit basically for rugby um but i'd heard about the gigs anyway and i'd seen them over in the sillies on my honeymoon um i've seen them down at Newquay. um i didn't realize that rosen had had a couple of boats um and apparently uh, they needed a b crew some recruits for the b crew to row the ross um they, they've got an a crew to row the william mm. so uh, the william peters so we some of us all went down and started training and started rowing and it's one of those sports that once you get into it and you get hooked, you, you know, you've had it for life. You, you're there. Um, so basically that's what happens. It's all Trinara's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I used to do uh, to do sweep oaring, you know, like the Olympic fine boats um, when I lived up country. And yeah, and yeah, once there's nothing like it, is there? Once it's in your blood, it's yeah. Once you're yeah. once you're in those beautiful boats, and once you're out on the sea, and competition as well comes into mm-hmm. it. Um, and and of course, you you go all around Cornwall, which you know, me being a daft Cornishman, I've never seen half of Cornwall myself. But then all of a sudden, you're in these beautiful boats, and you and you're at Foy and Port Isaac and up the Rain Peninsula. Um, you're down west, down at Zenner and Cape Cornwall and down Penzance. Oh, it's beautiful. Just all over Cornwall. Tremendous. And it's so nice to experience places when you've got a role to be there. You're not just a day tripper, if that makes sense. You're part of it. It's so, it's so much nicer than just touristing. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, we, we can be very proud of our Cornish boats. And, um, and of course, that you know, they were... They were all designed years ago by the, the, the Peters family of St. Moore's um, down at Freshwater, Polvar, down that way. Um, and all the modern gigs now are based on William Peters's design. They're based on the um, the Trefry, which Nuki have got. They've mm-hmm. also got the Dove and the, and the old boat called the Nuki. Those three boats they discovered in a net, an old net store up on the fly cellars in Nuki, buried up under the nets. Um, and they got them out back in the, I think it was the 60s, hmm. um, started repairing them. And the, the sport has moved on all based on those boats and Nuki. So Nuki saved the boats, but they were built by William Peters um, wow. from Samoa's. And is, have the boats changed a lot over the decades or is there very much a, a, a set design that everyone follows? Right, there's a set design now, but in the early days, um, talking to Rolf Bird, Daryl Rolf, obviously gone now, but Rolf was one of the very early gig builders um, to build the modern gigs. Um, in the old days, the gigs were all different lengths and widths and sizes, especially over in the cities, because they were used for transporting goods and people and coffins, and um, they were just like a, a motor car today, but in amongst the islands over there. Over here, they were used for pilotage racing a pilot out to a sailing boat in the, in days gone mm-hmm. by. And then, you, then obviously you'd get the contract um, of, of piloting the boat in. So therefore the gig crew would get a, 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 a bit of a bounce from that. Um, so that was, that was in the old days and all the gigs now uh, starting from when the CPGA was um, started, which was when Chris Hitchens from St. Moore's was involved um, with Dave Pierce over at Toro, Morris Hunkin up, up at Foy, various other people. It is all based on the energy which was built by the uh, Falmouth Marine School. They built the energy. Um, that caught on tremendously, and everybody said, we want one of these boats. So then they standardised. Uh, Rolf Berg did a, a copy, copyright, mm-hmm. but based on William Peters's boat. Um, he did a copyright, and all the gigs then were built um, on those plans, and, and but they have been changed slightly over the years to try and accommodate a bit more modern building techniques. But basically, they're still all based on the Trefry, which Nuki owned, which was built by William Peters. So it's so it's kind of a one design series in sailing speak. Yeah, I don't know much about sailing speak. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, everyone's basically in the same equipment, so it's really about who's the best team. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely down to the best team. They try and keep the boats. Obviously, different boat builders would try and have an edge on their boat. Of course. Um, but, but they have to, they are measured now. They're measured three or four times. 
um, at different stages as they're being built by various uh, gig boat builders um, so that they're trying to keep a standard. And then it's fair racing for everybody. Oh, brilliant. I never knew that about gigs. And you mentioned the CPGA there. What does that stand for? That's the Cornwall Pilot Gig Association. Aha, the so important people. The important people that we are all under their umbrella. They're their, our bosses. Um, they put in a lot of work. None of them are paid. Um, and over the last 30 years, they've gone from five or six gigs and meeting in the Royal Hotel in Toro. That's where it all started when Chris Hitchens was involved as the secretary for a while. And so was Joe Pierce from FIOC um, and Tati Murehead. Uh, I think was chairman from down at um, down Cadworth Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cadworth had a boat. I think that was the first one that Rolf Bird built, and then uh, I think William Peters was the second one, and then so it went on. Uh, Mount Bay had one, Foy had one. So in the beginning, there was only five or six clubs, um, and, Rol- and Rolf Bird, the boat builder, had the Sussex, which he had repaired from the Sillies because he used to live over there. So he was cast- classed as a gig club as well. Um, so there's only six or seven boats, six or seven clubs, but they form themselves into the early CPGA. Oh, and how many how many boats and clubs are there these days? Because it's it's a few more than six, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> it's, I'm not sure exactly because I lost count. I used to know all the clubs and all the boats, but I think the boats are in excess of 160. Wow. And I think the clubs are something like 70 plus. And they are obviously not all in Cornwall now. So there's Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly. There is the Devon clubs, Somerset clubs, Dorset clubs. Bristol have got a gig. London have got a gig. And in fact, they bought the Ross off the Roseland gig club because oh. that is, that. yeah, that's Paddy Bird up there. He, he helps to run that club. So that's Rolf Bird's uh, son. And Rolf was the man who built the Ross and the William. And a lot of the early gig, gigs was built by, um, by Rolf. So it's, it was fitting that, the Ross should go up there to um, Paddy. So Paddy Bird helps to run the Cornish, um, the London Cornish Rowing Club. They're up at Rich- Richmond under the arch up there. Um, and then there are gigs over in America and there are Cornish gigs in Holland because we've been over there and raced some over there. Um, and I think the Pharaohs row, but they borrow one some when they come down to the championships at Newquay. Wow, so they're spread, they've spread. It's a really thriving community then, isn't it? And, and quite a competitive community too. Oh, uh, that, that's with all sports, isn't it? Com- mm. com- competition comes in and then you, it all changes a little bit. So I, I was talking to Peter Green the other day in, in the pub and people were saying, oh, it was a lovely sport when it first started, you know, because all the village people learnt to row and it was good for the kids. And, and, then, and then the trouble is it does change a bit then because people want to be good, they want to win, they want to win in regattas. Then you train harder and, and everything gets a little bit more sort of professional and a bit more competition, you know, organised. But that is just, I think that's human nature a little bit. It's still a good sport and anybody can row, youngsters and older people alike. And what, what, how healthy is the club at the moment? Have you got a lot of, um, you know, from children up to, the, up to the vets rowing currently? Yeah, our club's doing pretty good just recently. Over the last three or four years, we had a bit of a dip after the early days, but I think that happens. Um, but we've had a bit of an influx recently on with some uh, ladies rowers. So I think this year, before the Sillies was cancelled, um, which would have been the end of this month and beginning of May, I think we had a men's A crew, 
a men's B crew and a men's super vets crew. And we had a ladies A, a ladies B and a ladies super vets crew. So six crews. So that's not too bad. And last year we had a juniors um, ladies crew rowing who did very well. Um, and obviously they've, they've, they've progressed now. They're senior rowers now. So uh, I think five or six of them have gone into the seniors rowing. But that, that still left a couple of junior um, kicking around, young Tilly Cruz um, and Rupert Brisley's young daughter. So mm-hmm. that's, there's still two there. So we're looking for some more youngsters, 14, 15, 16, to help with our, our juniors coming up in the future years. And how, when does the season run from Till? Because I know you'd be right in the thick of it now if it wasn't for all that's going on. But, but do you have like an <laughs> off season? <laughs> well, there used to be an off-season. Um, the season basically is everybody trains like lunatics to go to the Sillies in the end of April, May, May Bank mm-hmm. holiday. Then we all go regattas every Saturday, sometimes Sundays as well, um, all around Cornwall and Devon and wherever you want to go. There's always something on, and two or three on in different places. Um, and then all of a sudden everybody gets a little bit um, psyched up again and start training hard again for... Uh, the county championships, which is run at Nuki and has been for lots of years, right from the beginning of gig rowing and before. Um, so that used to be the season. And then after September, let's say middle, early middle of September, people used to have a break until after Christmas, mm-hmm. maybe January, February, and then March, April, start training again for the Sillies, uh, which is the world championships. But because of this competition thing and Really, everybody's really training like hell. Um, it, it, there's no stop now. I think we just roll over. We roll over and start rowing through the winter and rowing uh, you know, over Christmas time as well. And you, do you get the boats out all year round or is it land-based training in the, in the deep of winter? Um, it's boats as, if we can. Um, but there's been a change now, you see, because um, they've in, we've introduced plastic training boats. Now, a lot of us old gits like me were dead against plastic years ago um but like rolf bird used to say if if god wanted plastic boats he'd make plastic trees Uh, (laughs) that's that's rolf bird said so but god didn't make plastic trees but if you leave one of your lovely boats outside in the weather and the fresh water can affect it after a few years you're going to be spending thousands to repair the wood boats whereas a plastic boat you can leave outside so a lot of people now switch to training boats which are plastic and they keep their lovely wood boats for the regattas and for the world champs in Sillies and the county champs at Nuki. Are the, are the plastic boats not a lot lighter than the wooden boats? Does that not make a difference? Um, some of them are lighter and some of them are heavier, to oh, be honest. Right. So different people make the plastics. Um, we've got one heavy one, heavy-ish one, and one light one. I think the wood ones, the new wood ones are light. The older wood ones do take up a bit of weight. Yeah, um, but of course, in, in the in choppier weather, that's good because you've got a bit of momentum, presumably. Exactly. Some of the old boats used to go through the weather a lot better, yeah, rather than being bounced around. Um, but that's the difference in boats, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, you know, that, and that's the beauty of the, of the sport. Different yeah. boats, different sport. Even if know. they're all made to the same specification, they still have their own characteristics, don't they? They still, yeah, boats always do. Different boats, I mean... The William that has been has been banned from Nuki before because she was too quick in a following sea, and I, I'm not 
I'm not quite sure how that was, but she used to pick up and surf in tremendously. And I've seen her win races when she's been about third and fourth and just pick up like a surfboard and zoom right by the rest of the, the gigs and come in first. So in the end, she was banned out there because they didn't think it was fair. So that was the William reacting that way, you mm-hmm. know, and lots of other boats are, are good into a, into a sea or across the sea. Probably the same in sailing. I don't know, sailing boats. Um, probably the same sort of thing. Yeah. It's slight difference in, in a, the weight or the balance of a boat, I think. So anyone who's who's listening who has got a bit inspired by our talk of gigs and um and wants when we're allowed out again wants to come yeah. and come and join in um when yeah. do you tend to train and and can people join because i guess we're kind of mid-season at the moment is it worth people coming down mid-season to join you yeah it is because you you can join at any time and what we do is we we invite people along um normally on a wednesday evening especially now that the nights are pulled out um on a wednesday evening we have novices first of all rowing so there's some experienced people there and coxswains anybody that wants to row turns up they can have three free rows three free rows um and to see if they like it to see if they like the timing and the sport um and then if they want to they can join after that and we charge 10 pound a month um for the whole of the season so it's all year, basically. Um, and I think if you do it online, you get two months free, I think. Um, so basically, it's £10 a month, and you can row four times a month. But uh, sometimes we have weekends as well. And also, on, on a Friday night, there's some novice racing. So once you get reasonably good at rowing, um, some of the boats meet up out in the Carrick Roads, and they have a little race around. Um, and that, that sort of brings the novices on a little bit more then eventually those novices can always go in onto a regatta. And because at the regatta, there's always a mixed race. Now, you could put your best three ladies and your best three men, but what we tend to do in Rosing is we put um, our novices in that race, three men, three ladies, and we give them a race. So they can be in- involved that way as well. And remember, the, the rowing age can be 14, 15, providing you can sit on the thwarts, which is the seat in the gig, and touch the structure, which is in front of you, with your feet. As long as you can brace yourself in the gig, then you're big enough to row. Um, and then we encourage youngsters to row one side, then the other side, mm-hmm. because they're developing their muscles and their and their, and their bones. So uh, safety reasons, they row both sides. Older people, they can row whichever side they want, but we encourage that as well with older people. Um, and then you just progress up through, and hopefully you get into a crew uh, and do a bit more rowing. It all depends how serious you are, how fit you are, and how good you are. I suppose um and then in the winter time we just do weekend rowing because of the because of the darkness uh so sunday mornings is our training during the winter and then obviously now with the clocks gone forward um it, it'll be evenings as well but of course we're all on lockdown so we're not doing much no <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopeless so it's it's clearly that if if you're a novice and you're thinking of going along, then you're you're going to get plenty of time in a boat, aren't you? Because that's you know, and potentially yeah. even get to do some racing this summer. You could well do on your first season. You could do a few training sessions, um, and then you could get into some racing as well, just friendly racing, and then possibly uh, maybe an odd regatta. Um, and then, like for instance, years ago, my mum rode, and she was seventy nine, wow. eighty. And Norma, my missus, is 
mum, she rode as well. You know, they both jumped in the gig and had a little row because as girls, they used to row little small boats in Cornwall. Um, and, well, I'm, you know, I'm a super vet myself. So there's, there's a seniors racing up to 40. Then over 40, you are a vet. And then over 60, I think you're a master's or a super vet. No, 50, sorry, 50 is super vets. And then master's is 60. So I'm in the master's range now, I'm afraid. Well, I, I um, like the fact that the, the name of the of the age range gets kind of more more aspirational as you go up. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a master? Exactly. You, you have to aspire to get old to yeah. be a master. Yeah, you get to it be a vet, a super vet, and then you get to be a master. It sounds kind of cool. It is cool. It's a cool sport. And you should be rowing, young boys. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that one coming. And on that yeah. note, Millie, I think we should say goodbye. <laughs> okay, then, Chloe. Like, Really, thank you, so, nice thank you so much for coming on and talking um, in such detail about gigs. It, it has, okay. I may be coming down to see you and, um, and hopefully <laughs> some of our listeners will be coming down too. So, so thanks for coming yeah. on the show. Okay, everybody's welcome. We'll see you. Well, Millie makes that all sound rather fabulous. So I have to say I'm rather tempted to head down to a novice session once they're happening again. So you might see me there. Um, you can find out everything that is going on at the Roseland Gig Rowing Club by visiting their Facebook page. Just search for Roseland Gig Rowing Club on Facebook or you'll find the direct link to it at roselandpodcast.com. Just click on the show notes link next to episode four. And we're sticking with the water theme and checking in with Roseland's own Paralympic star next. So hi, Suze. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, and I'm I'm excited to learn a bit about the slightly crazy journey you're on. Um, as someone who who is scared of the water and scared of horses, um, I am in awe of you <laughs> on many levels. So, so you're currently tarring, currently training even for the Paralympics. So, um, how's that? How's it going? Uh, yeah, good. Um, yeah, my journey's slightly different um in that I've come from having an accident um seven eight eight years ago so um it's been a hell of a journey and um yeah had an accident breaking in a young horse and yeah very life-changing accident for me um and yeah now my my focus is firmly uh on Paralympic Games and um yeah hopefully well was hopefully Tokyo this year but um Tokyo now next year um gives us another year to prepare which is the positive side of it yes Uh, yeah but equally um yeah hard because I I actually felt really ready physically Mm -hmm. and mentally so um aiming for Paralympic swimming this this time around and um the aim is to aim for the Paralympics paradressage uh for Paris which would be the next Paralympics so um yeah it's uh, it's a bit of a whirlwind um, <laughs> really exciting and yeah I absolutely love it I'm really passionate about both sports um, but yeah it's hard work <laughs> and it's kind of I can imagine it's been quite a roller coaster dealing with the delay because any time when a when a goal gets shifted it's always a bit of it you know you, you're mentally focused on that date and then the date changes they've changed it by a whole year that must have been quite a like you say great because you've got another year to prepare but at the same time like really <laughs> yeah because you every Paralympic cycle is four years so mm. it's kind of like adding on another year to that um training um yeah I 
I'll be lying if I said I wasn't gutted when I heard the news, but also 100% the right decision. Mm. Um, and I think I'm trying to focus on the positives in that it gives me another year to prepare and another year to hopefully get faster. Yeah. Um, obviously, being out of the pool at the moment, everyone's out of the pool in the same position. Um, it's hard. Um, you're like, how am I going to feel when I get back in the water? Am I going to be like, yeah, no feel of the water at all because we, at the moment, it's very unknown as to how long that is going to be. Um, I have been keeping myself busy. Um, I'm very well known for probably overdoing it more than anything. <laughs> I hate being um, not having anything to do and being bored. So I have created a bit of a gym setup in my parents' sitting room. So I've moved back um, home and. Yeah, just causing carnage in the house, really. Um, so you've you've not gone. Oh, I've got an extra year. Brilliant! I could spend two months sitting on the sofa eating cake. Then no, not at all. <laughs> I think I have kind of relaxed a little bit and have given myself a bit of time. Almost also a little bit of time to process what's happened. Mm. Um, mentally, it's has been quite a big like shock. Um, so yeah, it's having that time to process it. Um, I go for a wheel every afternoon in my chair. I've got like a little front wheel that attaches to it. So um, I kind of use that time, especially on the roads and it's beautiful. So you can like look out to see and everything to kind of, yeah, let myself like be with my thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay to like be struggling with it and uh, be open about that. Like, um, but yeah, I think at the moment I've tried to flip it around and like sort of, focus on the positives and yeah I've got another year to hopefully go and smash it in Tokyo next year so because it's an interesting balance act isn't it it's like you you've got to focus on the positives but not to the point where you deny the negatives because that would also be uh, detrimental you know if you completely ignored the the negatives you've kind of got to give yourself that chance to process everything yeah and I think so when I first got back home to my parents I did actually kind of try to bury it a little bit and mm-hmm. almost forget about what was happening um to the point where I almost did too much I was doing too much exercise and um then I like took a day and was like right Suze I think we need to address this situation and actually have time to write stuff down process it set new goals mm-hmm. um I'm big on setting goals um and having a focus um and as soon as I did that and like just had that time um yeah I feel a lot more like positive and able to kind of move forward with my goals yeah I think um I think there's a lot of people going through not in you know with the Paralympics as a goal but going through that in life at the moment with the inability to get outside or the inability you know to to do what they're normally doing so hopefully all of you find are going to find that a little bit interesting but the other question I've got for you though is so the you've got an extra year for the swimming. Does that mean you've got a year less for the uh, for the dressage? Yes, it does. Um, so obviously, it's all going to be slightly tighter than uh, was planned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope, uh, I hope, fingers crossed, it'll still be possible. Um, yeah, I I like big goals and the games, but um, this is certainly a big one. So <laughs> <laughs> we will see if it happens. Um, I think the great thing with riding is there is no real like age limit on it in terms of like mm-hmm. I've got loads of time left in the saddle um 
and um, whereas swimming very much is like probably well actually people say I probably have got another Paralympic Games in me after Tokyo but uh, yeah I've obviously got this this big aim that I want to try and achieve um and yeah see if it happens and if it doesn't happen in Paris then I expect I'll still be going for the next Paralympic so we'll see excellent yeah it's kind of, it's it's um it's, I, I have this vision of all the coaches and the people who who run the data for all for all of you athletes who are going right. So we've got an extra year for our swimmers, and none of them can go swimming. I know uh, they're having to kind of go all these tried and tested plans they've been working on over the years and over <laughs> the you know the the cycles of the Olympics and all and the Paralympics. And they're suddenly like, well, this is challenging. <laughs> and, they must be having a bit of a nightmare. And I suspect they've got a few athletes who are doing the, well, I'm just going to sit on the couch. That's what's happening for the next few months. And then they've got others like you who are like, no, I want to want to push. And it, it must be very, very, very tough for them as well as, as well as for you guys who are kind of on the, who are actually doing the comp- competing. Yeah. Oh, it's obviously nothing anyone has ever experienced mm. before in like the history of, yeah, well, life in general. But um, I think, yeah it's hard it's um they've had to put together like kind of slightly different programs for us obviously land based programs Mm. um in the hope that that will help us get in the water as you know not too out of shape um but yeah it it is hard um it's hard for everyone not just sport but um everyone in general it's it's obviously a difficult time but um I think yeah hopefully we can all work together and get through this and come out the other side as like a more of a strong like a stronger community stronger unit um I do think although obviously that it's it is hugely challenging I do think people are working together and I've been amazed by that um and actually you know maybe there will be some good to come out of this yeah, it's quite fascinating to see how how communities are coming together, you know, on all levels in a different way, and the the, the way people's minds are changing as we go through through these interesting times, as everyone keeps calling it. It's it's um, it really is. It seems to be an opportunity to connect more, even though we can't connect, you know, in in the real world. People seem to be be making a lot more. Um, phone calls and a lot more zoom calls and all, all that kind of thing i spoke to someone the other day who who i work with and um and she she'd spoken to 34 people in one day oh my god okay that's a lot <laughs> I, know, I was like i'd be on the floor in a puddle if you yeah. tried to make me do that yeah i have been like calling mates a lot more and doing like video calls and stuff like friends that i haven't spoken to for ages that i've been meaning to but just because of training and stuff i've mm. had no time actually yeah just connecting with friends and and just like everyone working together and like trying to help support each other to get through this um yeah I've been yeah surprised and like it it is nice to see people working together and becoming a bit more of a unit yeah I, I saw one one great suggestion on social media which was to each day or every other day pick someone who you haven't spoken to in ages and just give them a call or just yeah. drop, drop them a text to go, hey, haven't spoken in ages. How are you doing? Or something like that. Because yeah. just that little bit of human positivity could have a huge impact on someone's day. Yeah, it goes a long way, doesn't it? Like 
just hearing, uh, speaking to each other, seeing each other's faces, especially if you're like self-isolating at home on your like on your own, mm. you're not seeing anyone. Um, yeah, it's nice to just interact. Well, look, Susie, it's been great interacting with you today. Oh, cheesy, <laughs> cheesy segue there. Sorry, everyone who's listening. Um, but it has it's been really cool hearing what you're up to and, and how, how you're you switching that focus. And I think there's a lot which hopefully some of the listeners will take, which will help them get through this time as well. So uh, we wish you all the best for the next couple of Paralympic Games um, and for, for making it, you know, through these these times that we're, we're doing at the moment. So thanks so much for being on the show. No, thank you very much. It's been great fun. really interesting to see how Suze is adapting to the challenges that lockdown is throwing at us all and although most of us are facing much smaller challenges than getting or much different challenges maybe than getting a gold medal we can use the exact same methods to stay happy and focused and positive so I hope that interviews not only kind of helped you understand about what someone's doing it's quite cool on the peninsula but also given you some some tips and tricks you can use to help keep yourself positive and motivated during these interesting times uh, now, Lindsay and I are always on the hunt for more people to interview. So if you'd like to come on the show and talk about your group, your hobbies, your job, tips you've got for coping with lockdown, anything at all, really, we're interested. The first step is to drop us an email to roselandpodcast at gmail.com with your ideas and any questions you've got. We record everything in advance so we can edit it a lot uh, if we need to. Um, and thankfully, as I'm the editor, we haven't had to do too much editing yet. Um, and you don't even have to be willing to come on the show. If you've got a recipe for a great drink or a meal or a great tip, then please do just email it in because we can always read it out for you. I hope this podcast will help us all feel a little less alone, a little bit more aware of how our community is pulling together. Now, next week, we've got two great guests and a bit of a nature weather theme. So if you want to make sure you catch that and the rest of the shows, then please bookmark rosenpodcast.com and look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your usual podcast app and just subscribe there. Be kind and stay safe.